Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Special guest John Wellborn joins us for another edition of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. From excitability and arousal to dorsiflexion and the toes forward debate, the crew answers your questions from Instagram. You wanted to know which movie is better, Predator or Terminator 2, and we gave you our unanimous decision. That's right, time well spent battling the bullshit that matters to us most. Touch tummies with your training partner and reach maximum excitability because a fresh crew episode is headed your way. This is episode 280. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? We're going to have to ask you to stay late on Friday because it's podcast time. The premier podcast in strength and conditioning. And and conditioning. And and conditioning. Ooh. Should we just drop the triple in, 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 and do triple and? Strength and, 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 and conditioning. Condo, ing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another 15, to th- 15 minutes to 180 minutes of chit-chat. This is a crew episode. You have your hosts, Luke Summers, me, and Tex McQuilkin. Howdy. And our featured guest... <laughs> Uh, you know, thanks for having me back on the Power Athlete Radio. It's always, um, you know, an, an honor to sit around the table and discuss, you know, strength and conditioning, ing, ing, with you guys. Now, so, John, thanks. are you are you familiar with Power Athlete? Um, yeah. Uh, worldwide Strength and Conditioning Organization dedicated to unlocking athletic performance and basically just making you a bad motherfucker that'll, uh-huh. you know, chew bullets and, uh, you know, to leave tall anything. buildings in a single bound and follow the 11th principle of power athlete, which is slay Excitability. everything. Excitability. Oh, <laughs> excitability <laughs> is 10. Uh, you know what? Uh, Tex finally, after two years of me, you know, trying to beat it into his head, came to me today no, with this organic came? idea. And it's like, hey, what do you think about the 10th principle being excitability? Mm-hmm. And then I explained to him. <laughs> That's not how it went. <laughs> I explained to him what excitability was. And you know what he thought? Man, I wasn't ready for you to drop that knowledge to me two years ago, but finally I've gotten <laughs> today where you were two years ago. So technically, I'm just probably a couple decades behind you. Mm-hmm. But now we've, you know, thank God we finally solidified the tenth principle of so excitability. F- for our listeners who have not enrolled in the Power Athlete Methodology what? course, there those people exist. No, no, no. Yeah, no, they're I can't they're imagine out there. anybody listening to this that's not enrolled in the Power Athlete Methodology course. Yeah, no, they're out there. I and mean, if it's you, just stand up and scream, it's me, and then run and see what happens wherever you are. Uh, hopefully we, not an airport. The core element, the, the foundation of the methodology course is based on um, principles. Is based on nine training principles to unlock athletic potential. We talk about the life cycle, competitive life cycle of an athlete, which nicely overlays, even, even with the general pop person, it overlays quite nicely in terms of training life cycle. And if you think you know, you have no idea. That's this is true life. <laughs> you remember that show yeah, but, on MTV? Uh, but uh, you know, as he developed the nine principles, I kept talking about the tenth principle, which is excitability. And Tex just wasn't ready mm-hmm. to understand what excitability comes down to. You know, potentiation, excitability. Um, you know, being primed and ready to train, and your emotional and physical investment into training. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't ready. But you know what? Finally, today, Tex, he was ready. You know that I've been preaching for the for years. The tenth principle is woven into the biopsychosocial fabric of the athlete, and that, my friend, is excitability. No, it, it is excitability, but it's it's competition. You need that high level of stress to push the limits to test your training, mm-hmm. and then overload. Whether it's speed, power, force, eccentrics on the field, and then you 
No, that's Adapt. not it. That's driving adaptation. Competition. No. Well, yeah, comp- competition, when we discussed it, competition is the overarching factor that continues to drive adaptation over time because it's constantly putting you in a test and a retest. Mm-hmm. Excitability is what you do when you go into your training environment. And you guys all know this. Like This is where the whole move the dirt thing came from. Some days you get a shovel, some days you get a spoon. Excitability, we can track and say, how ready are you to train? And what is the... Input versus output, like how much are you able to invest to get the maximal uh, out for a training day? Like, like, and, and you guys know this. I mean, we talked about it this morning at 6 a.m. Monday morning after you being, you know, doing whatever what you're doing all weekend out there. <laughs> are you, you talking know, to me or Tex? Well, I, I know what you Us? did. Tex was down in uh, H-Town, uh, down there, you know, drinking just beers, having a good tires, time. Picking up W's. Yeah, just just going down there, <laughs> rotting in the wrong, straightening the curves, you know. And uh, he shows up Monday morning, 6 a.m. And you know what? His excitability was low. So you know mm-hmm. what we did? We changed the training. We didn't go for heavy 5RM. So what we did is we did some single leg, uh, single leg unilateral movements. We did a little bit of conditioning, and we did uh, some interesting kind of warm-up stuff to use a little, you know, Cal Dietz flutter kicks. And it was a good training day. But if you came in and you were like, I got my 14 hours, you know, the intern, um, you know, dressed me for battle and, you know, <laughs> rubbed me down with olive oil and stalangied me. <laughs> and he uh, dressed me for battle. And uh, it's 6 a.m. I'm fucking ready to go into the 11th principle, which is slay everything. Uh-huh. Then your excitability would have been high. That was Saturday. When you look at these jokes. Now, the excitability, I mean, you know, that's the reason that dudes take pre-workout and people fucking get ready. But the problem is... is But isn't that arousal? Didn't we used to call that arousal? Hatfield called it arousal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I call it excitability. Mm. But a part of that is competition. Well, I mean, yeah. you get you get hyped. You you rise above your, your training max... For your competition, Max. Yeah. Yeah, B-Rabbit. How, how ready are you to, in, uh, to invest into your training? And, and I, I think we just look at it like, what do you have to do to raise excitability for your athletes in training? Is it like, you know, we do it at the seminar where we would all start clapping or we would come in. I mean, you know, we had to make sure that everybody was on point. Mm-hmm. So I think like your margin of error gets very small when you start talking about excitability. So track back to one of our previous podcast guests. If people want to know how Tex and I get excited for training, uh, John Howard. So what Tex and I do is we embrace each other in a man hug and we we breathe our bellies into one another. Sure. Wait a minute, was was this? Uh, uh, no, no, that's something else. It was, was that uh, linking and sinking? I can never tell when you guys are. It, it, was like that the weird thing hugging? that you guys do where it's pull the pole or hold the hole? Uh, both. Okay, because I've seen you guys do some weird stuff with rubber with uh, with, with jump stretch bands, which is the hold the hole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got it. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, barreling forward, maybe we will circle back on this topic. Or do you want to close out anything on this? No, because we got to dive deeper. All right. Yeah. Cause we mentioned a couple things, and I want to get in. This is a crew episode. We put a call to action out on Instagram. Wait a minute. I thought I was a special guest. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, John. Uh, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you are the subject I, matter expert. Can I get expert. a weather update? That's what I'm talking about. We have someone who's asking for a weather update in Austin, Texas. Current temperature is approximately 72 degrees. It is cloudy. And, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to hear some thunder. And some I thought that was Texas stomach because he, he hasn't had his snacks, snacks. So let me tell you about the weather. All right. Let's just pretend that you're a young, enthusiastic, newly married man who's buying a house and your builder's trying to fucking lay sod for eight weeks. And it's just been no dry oh. week for eight weeks straight in Austin, Texas. The most significant and continued rainfall 
in Central Texas since when, intern? Ever. 1890. And they can't lay sod. So you get this house, and now you got these dogs, and one of your dogs has the shits, and it won't go outside because it doesn't want to go in the mud because he's an emo rescue dog. Now you're cleaning up shit all over your new house because your house is built on a goddamn mud puddle because it won't stop raining for the love of God. Uh, this is all theoretical, right? No, this is that. These are facts. This is meteorological facts. This is how Luke gets excited for training. I am. This is what's up. called let's excitability. Do some, let's do some curls yeah. in my mud puddle. Let's do some um, shit. Yeah. So, uh, and that's the five, the eight-week forecast. Rain. It's going to rain, people. I just like with Bill Murray in uh, Groundhog Day when he's like the forecast. It's going to be cold. <laughs> cold. Remember that? And he's like, it's a. <laughs> Dude, Groundhog Day, intern, Groundhog Day, put it on the list. Uh, one of my favorite movies, a big Bill Murray fan. Okay, so let's start with Flutter Kicks. I know this is, like, not the most excitability, excitable question, but we posted uh, the, fl- the Flutter Kicks that we learned. they from- worked very well to, so give, give, to, to raise excitability. Right, so give, give some background on, on how we came across the Flutter Kicks. Um, Cal Dietz came out and hung out with us for the day. Uh, we went out and watched some UT football, and then we went back, and we were training, and uh, he was talking about using, um, you know, banded re- reactive forces to, you know, not only create excitability, get <laughs> potentiation, and to try to get uh, the nervous system to fire. And in also correct order. So the posterior yeah. chain to, to fire in the correct order to potentially prevent injury. Yeah. So, so glutes, hams. So we started back. using uh, the single leg, which is more of a power movement opposed from the double leg, which is more of a, no, I think it was more was a strength and the other one was a power speed movement. So once you're able to uh, develop power with a single leg, you have the trunk stability to be able to go into the other one. Mm-hmm. So, so we've been just doing that single leg. So Tex and I did it today with some, uh, ha- uh, with some, you know, supine hamstring curls using the, uh, Sornex roller and then, uh, mix that with a little bit of walking on the, um, uh, belt squat machine. Belt squat. And John threw a curveball at me. Mm-hmm. I, I was, like that. I wanted some multi-directional work. And he lassoed, lassoed me. Lassoed. No. Well, You're a Texan. It's, it's a lassoed. It's pretty interesting. And I didn't. Uh, Tex likes to do a bunch of stuff with his shoes off. And when I was watching him do the power walking, one of his arches kept collapsing on the right side. And I was kind of interested to see if I could like mimic it or find a way to correct it. So not telling him about it because I didn't want him to fix it. I just threw a band and sort of kind of pulling him one direction. And it was pretty interesting as I was pulling him to the right like putting load on his left side pulling him to the right he was fine the minute i went to his left side and i put the band and i was pulling him from his right side all of a sudden he was really struggling with being able to lift his his leg what was pretty interesting is that your arch was collapsing on that side so mm-hmm. your, your one foot was like this the other one was open which i thought was really pretty fascinating and then uh then you did it to me and i didn't really notice any change but i'm always shitty so yeah and usually my left mm-hmm. foot is the one that collapses in a squat but yeah, it was right foot, so I, I didn't know. But also, um, I sometimes think nothing exists in a vacuum. So when you see something one day, it might be very well the fact that you were sitting in your car for three hours driving yesterday, yeah. pushing your right foot with the accelerator, and who knows, being in that drop foot position. Mm-hmm. Now, if we had imp- instituted a little bit of Caldita's RPR beforehand, we might have seen a little bit of change. So that would be something interesting to look at in the future. Yeah, there's a lot of Caldeets on this. So I guess to, to sum up the Flutter Kicks you mean is... Cal Dietz nuts? Cal Dietz nuts. So to sum up the Flutter Kicks, though, Dietz said throw it in. We got a little bit of an explanation. We've thrown it in and seen that it, it helps with posterior chain. Yeah, and track, speed, mm-hmm. sprint carryover. So like a hamstring curl, right? We're going through concentric. 
And then this forces us with leg extension to then practice our hamstring strength, execution, order with a straight leg, much like we're going to hit that ground and pull through on that sprint. Mm -hmm. Well, the, um, uh, you know, when people think about training the hamstring, it's usually in this kind of like hamstring curl environment. And we do a ton of that, but I really like to do more of a seated position in the warm-ups. But when I look at like, uh, that's more for like a warm-up blood flow thing. When I think about training the hamstrings, I'm usually always focusing on stretching the hamstrings, kind of like we do with RDLs, uh, the flutter kicks, step-ups, things that cause us to have to pull and uh, use our hamstrings in a more, um, I guess you could say similar situation to who we would sprint. We're not necessarily looking to create, you know, huge, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, muscle bellies for hamstrings like mm-hmm. you'd see in like a bodybuilder hamstring curl. Because if you notice, most of the uh, uh, big sprinters usually don't have, you know, like a huge muscle belly but or like, you know, at the top, but it's more of a, you know, overall strength. And referencing the power athlete methodology and our breakdown of specificity, internal structure of a muscle, so the, the muscle action during the sport or the skill we aim to replicate that mm-hmm. versus the skill and what you're probably doing wrong if you're following the programs uh that we're dropping some of this stuff into is execution oh, right so oh, when we watch yeah. we watch athletes come in and tinker with this what we tend to see is they go they try to just fucking hammer it and they externally well, rotate it right it, it, it kind of reminds our flex. Me, it kind of reminds me of the day that um i walked in and we were doing step-ups in the program yeah. And Nate had like 225 on his back. He was like, had like maybe like an elevated box and he was kind of like getting a little bit of momentum. And then he would kind of like pop his legs up into that weird kind of half squat position yep, on under there it, right? to kip under. And then he would stand up with it. And I like freaked out and I was like, holy fuck. Like, he's like, what do you mean? I'm doing step ups. And I like, <laughs> I, I, I like, you know, between bouts of wanting to vomit and murder mm-hmm. him, uh, I realized that people don't necessarily understand that the, the goal is like the journey, not just to stand like if 225 all, if, up yeah, on the box. If, if, if the goal was to just to get you to stand up on a box, I wouldn't ask you to do it. And then that's when we went through the whole demo teaching process of like, you know, I want to be nice and tall, drive my head through the ceiling, maintain trunk stability, and then think about your pl- you know, shoulder is just a platform to drive the weight up, drive my head through the ceiling, you know, no uh, knee up, toe up, driving up, toe up, and then being able to come back down with the dorsiflex position and not reach for the ground. And, like, the execution of the movement. So, all of a sudden, I get to do it. And he barely can do it with, what, like, 45 pounds on yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah, And uh, he's like, well, that's stupid. Why? Because ego is such that he can't fucking put his ego aside. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what we've run into a lot of athletes and a lot of people when training is the only matrix they know for success. Now, so if success on the field is the matrix and the training just becomes a vehicle. So, um, Yeah. Boom, asked and answered. Let's stay on programming and a little bit of posture and position. McQuilkin, why in John's programming is dorsiflexion so emphasized? I see it in dead bugs, lunges, everything. Also, oh, I'll wait for that. Opportunity to build. Wait a minute. No, let me read it again. (laughs) Sorry, I just read what he was saying because not too. Also, I'm having trouble with some of the explosive plyo movements such as shin hops. Mm, is there a connection, perhaps? What are the things I can sub for these types of movements to work towards doing them? I've been doing Grindstone for a month now and really love the programming. Thanks for the awesome content. And ladies and gentlemen, Grindstone is one of our training programs that is for the power athlete who's budgeted on time. We have a little flex schedule in there. Uh, but McQuilkin, talk about dorsiflexion. Opportunity to build skill on skill. So dorsiflexion, it's a 
optimal power driving into the ground. If we're playing that contact sport or accelerating, we want to be in that dorsiflexion position so we can react off the ground. So dead bug, it's an opportunity to reinforce the good sprint foot position of the lower leg, mm -hmm. even in our pull-ups. And I, I actually had a, a, a coach get after me at, at way back at G-Town days because I asked athletes not to cross over mm -hmm. their feet during the pull-ups. Like we used to... It ain't no dang dinner party! We used to call out at the CrossFit football seminar. Do you know why we did that? Yes, the opportunity to build skill and skill for dorsiflexion and injury prevention. Yeah, no, we didn't. Like, I appreciate the first part, but the whole reason we didn't ask people to do that was because when we were doing the manual resistance pull-ups, if you have your feet crossed and you let go of the bar and the person pulls you down, you can't, you'll land, you'll fucking basically break your ankles. We also, and, and had, so, a, we also had a discussion about how it closes kinetic chain as well. It's like going into yeah, you origin, can push off. right? Yeah, so. yeah, so, but by keeping your foot in that good position, if somebody's pulling you down and you both come off and you let go, which did happen at a seminar, I imagine. Yeah, as somebody let go of the bar, which to me is kind of an interesting thing. Like I, I like I watch those videos of CrossFitters that are like mid-kip and they just let go of the bar and fucking land and break their necks. And I think to myself, like, at the end of the day, in most training environments, I would assume that survival would be the number one, like, priority. Kind of like when we were at the power, our, uh, our first um, uh, Occupy Strength, when I watched your boy ditch fucking 500 pounds over his head. Brandon. And then he was like, yeah, that's just how I do it. And I'm like, wow. That one, uh, I just I wouldn't think that, like, trying to duck my head under 500 pounds would at all be, like, like that just doesn't make sense to me. But then I have to remember, like, there's all the times where, like, you know, uh, my favorite one is uh, dudes get drunk and then they want to piss on, like, electrical lines and then it just comes up and zaps them. What? Yeah, yeah jackass. Yeah, those like uh, there's a pretty interesting Darwin Award winner where the guy was uh, throwing beers and then pissed on an electrical line, and the line fucking came up and fucking lit him up. And um, I'm just think I'm not pissing on that. Mm. Anyway, yes. And for just time out before you keep going, text dorsiflexion for folks who are like, what the fuck? I don't have a dorsal fin. I'm not a dolphin, right? That's a little Ace Ventura throwback. Have you seen that intern? Thank God. Uh, part of the problem, I mean. But hang on, John. No. Is if you take your toe and point it like you're swimming or a ballerina, that's plantar flexion. Not toe, foot, ankle. And then at the ankle, if you bring the top of the foot up towards your shin, that's dorsiflexion. So when Tex says loaded position, it means that the calf is stretched out and loaded. Correct? Yes. Correct. Barreling forward. Barreling yeah. forward. Well, uh, but the, I think a lot of confusion happened. Uh, coming out of like the CrossFit endurance and some of the pose stuff that um, you know Brian McKenzie and those guys were teaching, where they were talking about a dangling foot, um, you know they and I, I could see their argument until they got to the point where they told me that their that the arms are not used and are basically useless in running, and at that point I just fucking argument. turned off. I was like. Okay, I could get it, like, you know, not being over, like, if you're trying to be efficient in your running, maybe just having, like, a softer foot to, like, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, I can get that. And then he's like, yeah, arms have nothing to do with running at that point. I was like, I'm out. But, and also we get, while we're talking about that, dorsiflexion is important. You're going to have a lot of speed coaches and, and football strength coaches that say speed is all about force into the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and minimize ground contact time. I mean, minimizing yes. ground contact time. And we teach the arm swing, and they... They skip over that or talk down about arm, teaching arm swing. Who does? A lot of dude. Uh, a lot of coaches. Uh, Tom Shaw doesn't. I. And let me tell you, dude. Uh, there's a reason that the fastest people in the NFL run with Tom Shaw. 
I mean, dude, big arms, big explosion. I mean, it, you know, and I remember Tom told me exactly the stronger you are in your upper body and the better you are in the, you know, turnover with your arms, the faster your legs will do that. You know, everybody like, uh, it, it doesn't work, you know, like, uh, two ways. Uh, if you try to move your legs as fast as you can, the arms don't keep up. But if you move your arms as fast as you can, the legs will keep up. And counterbalance. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, that piece of uh, Tom Shaw, like arms and your ability to have, uh, you know, a ton of, um, uh, you know, uh, flexibility, you know, but also flexibility under load, not just, you know, task-specific tension and your ability to get back. And we also, you know, some guys were 90-90 guys, other guys weren't. So. And we can train the foot position with all of our movements to then when you're moving at an unconscious speed, you're focusing on your arm swing, you can trust that your foot is maintaining dorsiflexion position, the optimal position for driving force into the ground and injury prevention and all the, the positive benefits. Mm -hmm. So it's just training it, programming over and over, building skill on skill so you don't have to think about it when we do do our sprints, change of direction, and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's a dead bug, dorsiflexion. It's a coachable position, so you don't have to worry about it when you sprint. So that's for you, the athlete. And let's say you're a coach who's using a dead bug for a diagnostic tool or warm-up. You can evaluate a group of athletes' ankle health oh, and yeah. range of motion very quickly. And calves. And you can do that. So, yeah, so dorsiflexion so is a, just like any position in any movement. It's not only, just, it's not only a training device it's also a, it can be a diagnostic if you know what you're looking for uh -huh. now on to the second portion of the question i'm just gonna uh you know you're having problems with shin hops right so shin hops are pretty interesting and where we can maybe tie this to mcwilkin is is the uh um uh, uh vertical jump performance window oh article first article right because wow. a lot of people who are going to to need to get a deeper dip to get maximal velocity right they have longer rate of develop rate mm -hmm. force development bring me in on that term rate of force development right yeah strength our power deficit mm -hmm. intern and i've been reviewing some some old literature but dude great article throwback from 2014 but it's a an evaluation tool we're using the vertical jump as an evaluation tool assuming you're a high school coach and you don't have all the the cool stuff mm -hmm. like the the force plates or the jump mats or any of that good stuff but we have our athletes perform a vertical jump just you start open hipped think envision the nfl combine you got your arms overhead and you perform your vertical jump mm -hmm. then what we do is we put you in a a think ready position athletic position and we have you jump without the 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 throw down of the arms, the stretch shortening. And we aim to find a difference there, and we can learn a lot about our athletes, whether they're slow twitch, fast twitch, mm -hmm. if they're more reactive, explosive, all the cool stuff we talked about in the, the Phil Wagner podcast. We can put ourselves in a position to learn that stuff without the technology to help better drive our program. Mm -hmm. in, in my old sport coaching days, identify if someone's more of a defensive guy than an offensive guy despite of what they did in high school maybe we can make them a better player and what we're doing with the shin hop is what you got to figure out is you're you're taking the quads out of the equation right so it's about hip drive right so if you can do a shin hop it means you got 
weak hip drive. Well, also there's a reactive factor too. Mm -hmm. You know, the ability to catch in a good squatted position and be able to drive those feet into the ground and catch. So it's just... But um, first you got to get high enough to pull your feet under. Well, I mean, and what's interesting is I have um, absolutely zero, uh, you know, like full range of motion in my knee. So I Mm -hmm. have to do it from almost like a 90 position and I can get up. So I always think like if I can do it, like everybody should be able to do this. Right. But you're not quad dominant, right? Yeah. So you have posterior chain dominance and I have a feeling that guys who struggle with this stuff aren't squatting how we would ask them to squat, sure. which is sit back into the, so so everything to this what I've always said, everything is everything, right, Tex? Right? How I've always said that. Yeah, and you, until and not, it's until it's nothing. But what's what and you, everything matters, just two of your favorite <laughs> phrases. <laughs> So, Jay, in uh, all of my our listeners out here who are having trouble with the shin hops, it, you you need to you need to adjust your training. You need to get some hands on coaching. If you if you want to, you just need to understand that what John was saying on the step up with Nate. It's not just about getting the weight up. It's about how you're moving, and those things are going to translate to your ability to generate force in the proper manner to do a shin hop. Now, to scale it, you could do some like seated box jumps as a similar. Um, uh, uh, stimulus. We found that um, um, I was never a fan of people putting the jump stretch bands underneath their arms to try to do it. Uh, the best thing to do is elevate a box, like find like a six or an eight inch elevated deal and do the shin hop off the elevated so it gives you more time in the catch. Um, you know, yeah, so you could like, elevate the knees a little bit, yeah, right? So we, we use the, uh, what is it, the, uh, like the red padded box. So you can like put yourself on the end and you can jump off of that. Mm-hmm. And we found that like, you know, just giving yourself a, uh, you know, an extra few inches was beneficial. But um, at the end of the day, like I've seen little kids do it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think I told you guys the story when I was in martial arts. That's how we had to get off. Like you were kneeling while people were doing it. And the way you stood up was you had to do a shin hopper. You just had to sit there and kneel until you, mm-hmm. you know, your legs fall asleep. So, asked and answered. McQuill, can you tracking on the next question? Oh, yeah. So, this is for our field strong athletes. This is from W. Palmer, 87. I'm a competitive lumberjack. Yes. Aside from event training, I do CrossFit to train. Wondering what other movements may be beneficial to my training. Also looking for ways to stay loose at competitions. So here's what you need would to do. A, you need to get a sledgehammer and start would, chopping trees down with it. Would a lumberjack uh, be a rotational athlete and probably somebody that would be in a staggered position? So why would he do a training system that just does nothing but bilateral hip hinging? I'm glad you found this, W. Palmer. I mean, that's, to, to, to me, that would be like, hey, uh, um, you know, like that seems. Uh, Field strong was made for this guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, like this is. But here. Events here, last here, less than a here's minute. A, here's a. Um, Sounds like your sex life. Hey, old taxi's uh, talking text. to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, slay everything. Principle eleven. But think Less about this, right? So, it, like, this is why the methodology is so important. Where now, if you took the methodology course and went through it, you'd be able to take a look and you'd be able to analyze every training system and say, all right, so here's the demands of my program. I'm probably going to be in a staggered position, so I'll probably not be majority of time in some form of uh, bilateral hip hinging. And there's rotation involved in what I do. Um, you know, it's multi-plane, so there's probably, uh, you know, different changes of direction, uh, different implements from axis to saws. Uh, you know, we also know the one where I've seen them where they basically have to cut and then put a board in as they go up to the top. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different factors involved in this, and it's all kind of different planes of motion, different movements, different implements. And you're doing a training system that just involves the majority done with bilateral hip hinging that can be done in a stairway or in a, in a hallway. So, um... Yeah, field strong. 
And then, so let's finish up that question, though, Tex. So uh, also looking for ways to stay loose at competitions. Events last less than a minute and periods of extended downtime uh, throughout the competition. So there are periods of extended downtime. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Love you, too. And uh, the info you're putting out there, which is a unique brand of infotainment. Mm -hmm. That's our new jingle. Yeah. Stolen from The Simpsons. (laughs) But... it sounds like dynamic movement prep. Yep. So essentially, it is our warm-up for competitions and what we do every year for the, the CrossFit Open, right? We put you in that energy system. Ooh, what are we going to do that now that there's no more? Oh, there's still an open, but no regionals. There's two opens. Oh, I don't know. I got to do some. I, gotta, I have no idea what's going on. I got to do some research. I don't think anybody does. But <laughs> for, for our lumberjack here, essentially, we, we establish a posture. We'll do some isostability, dude, and then we're going to hit all planes of motion, man, and make you bend, twist, lunge, step. And, and squat to get ready mm-hmm. and target your specific energy systems. And I'm watching your, your videos here from Myrtle Creek Organ Competition, and you're crushing it. So we would not, we would put you in a position to get warmed up with that axe and then get things firing on all cylinders for you to bust ass for a minute. And then we'd give you some cool down to recovery so we can get you in the position to then make, have a more effective warm up the second competition event mm-hmm. the third event fourth event and you're still firing our cylinders by the end of it and ready to compete mm-hmm. right and just as a <clears throat> how do i want to put this damage control i guess listen could crossfit make you a better lumberjack probably but i don't know for how long right everything works but nothing works forever the deficiencies are tend to be at crossfit affiliates the programming, the movement isn't dynamic enough, what John's talking about. Now, could it get you in shape? If, if, you're don't ha- if you just are not in good enough shape to be a good lumberjack, it'll get you a little bit of the way. Yeah. But you need to find a training program that's conducive to the demands of your sport that takes into account all of those planes of motion. Well, but, but also, when people look at the demands, they just think of like the cardiorespiratory system. Right. Like, right. like, hey, um, I, go, I go really hard for a minute, and I need something that's going to mimic that kind of uh, you know 180 beats a minute out right. of breath like lactic acid. So they're searching for something that gives them the same dose response. That's just a little and, sliver though, right? But Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's not accurate. It's, uh, that's like saying, you know, Hey, I'm going to train for football, but I just want to do something that mimics like the demands of like my heart rate or whatever within that same deal. Mm-hmm. So then therefore like kind of like the guy who sent me the picture of the football helmet that had the pad on it so that the football player could drop, you know, 225 on the top of his head and do push presses. So that he can work his neck, like mm-hmm. it just—it's it, yeah. it, like, like at the end of the day, um, I think people get way too fucking wrapped around the axle with conditioning and being able to replicate this so like emotional black box response. Yeah, like if you just want to like set yourself on fire, then fucking go set yourself on fire. But if you want to do a training program, then there has to be a little bit of understanding of like, okay, what movements are, uh, are within my wheelhouse? What am I like, where am I having problems? What do I need to strengthen? And then you have to break it down within the athletic blueprint and say, all right, so I'm going to be the, the majority is a staggered stance, a ton of a single leg type stuff. You're going to be on one leg. There's a lot of rotation within that. And then I think you look and say, like, how do I maintain strength? How do I maintain the explosion? And then you also think about things 
things like compensatory acceleration, which to me, uh, when you swing an axe, like there is definitely, in watching these guys, there's definitely a position where they try to speed up the axe head. They're just not going through the same. Like as it, as mechanical advantage increases, you watch those guys, they start throwing their whole body as we're watching the videos. So I think following something that involves rotation, a lot of uh, unilateral movements and compensatory acceleration, or follow something like Field Strong that's actually written with a purpose more than just to set your fucking town on fire every day. And this goes back to our conversation about excitability this morning and the, peop- the mistake that people make is they just try to do game day every day in training mm-hmm. and that effort. And what do they end up doing? Just burning out. Yeah, but I mean, so what was, what's always pretty interesting to me is when I watch like the high-level CrossFitters and I think the problem and why CrossFit's fucking burn this thing to the ground a little bit with some of the CrossFit games is that it's not representative of the brand. But uh, when you watch those guys, like they are working at near max capacity and like the look on their face is just like another day at the office. So, I mean, what they've done is they've learned to train at a kind of um, low emotional investment. So lower to mid excitability. And they're just out there able to work at it, do a very, very high workload where there's, you know, and, but that's how they have to do it to be able to sustain that amount of volume. I mean, think about the Tour de France. Like those guys are on the bike and like their face doesn't change until they get to like the really awful part. And then they just see like the fucking smashing on their face. But I mean, it's, uh, it's just, you know, you got to be like calmest before the storm and you can't be big ups, big downs. You got to be super consistent. Asked and answered. Yeah. Jump on field strong. Okay, so I'll jump in and text. John, I've got a question for you from Raw Living Food. Uh, shout out to old Ben and Bridge. Remember Ben and Bridge, McQuilkin? When I left oh, the lights yeah. on on Iggy, on the and, old Iggy and they fucking kept this company for a few hours until her boy well golf didn't... was that was that the tow truck driver who golf? Oh, yeah, we got like, we got to hunt down that episode, dude. Oh man! But anyways, uh, so Ben or did we ma- explode their battery because we didn't know? Yeah, no, it was their it was their jumper because we were jumping with twelve oh, yeah, volt to twenty four because we're idiots. Yeah, you guys want to know the difference between twenty four and twelve volt? I system. do now. Now you do. Yeah, you live and learn, people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're they're asking John, and they they're the ones who helped us out with Megan Anderson getting her some meals. Um, when John worked with Doctor Moro Di Pasquale, <clears throat> excuse me. Pasquale. Pasquale. Lay. Lay. <laughs> Doing the anabolic diet. How many calories did you eat, Jay Welly? And how much protein did you eat per day? The reason they're asking, they have keto athletes, and this is where we got to be careful, right? They have keto athletes who are concerned with eating too much protein in compared to a fat ratio. Thanks for all you guys do. Oh, wow. Um, one, Dr. D's got like a ton of books out there for free. Just Google anabolic diet for athletes anabolic diet for bodybuilding uh i think this fucking eating too much protein thing is a total boogeyman that's been fucking created by people that don't really understand it um you know what's problem is is that people try to look at the keto diet for like health and wellness and they're trying to extrapolate it out for athletes um i ate uh, well over uh a gram like 1.2 to like almost like you know gram and a half sometimes even more um protein and it per was pound never, of body weight yeah, per pound of body so weight. that's like if you're a hundred pound was, athlete like tex that's 100. So at the grams. time, I was eating anywhere from 300 to 400 grams of protein a day, and uh, then supplementing with fat and didn't eat the carbs. But I think the other problem too is uh, with the anabolic diet, or not necessarily a problem, is that there is like a reprieve. Like you do have your carb reloads, so you can see them in the future. Whereas if you just said, "Hey, I'm going to not eat carbs for the next year," which I did, which is fucking awful, and I think then then you can kind of skin the diet a little bit, and you, and if you wanted to reduce it. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's physically and mentally pretty difficult to just 
fucking not eat a carbohydrate. Like, for example, it was my daughter's birthday. Uh, we went to go have lunch with them, and my wife bought a bunch of little, like, cupcakes and whatnot. And what am I going to do? Just be like, no, I'm on the keto. I can't have the cupcakes. I eat the cupcake, dude. It had, like, 12 grams of sugar in it. Was it delicious? Yeah. Uh, was it before my carb refeed? Of course. But I'm, I'm going to eat a piece of cake with my, uh, with my little girls. So um, do I eat... Um, do I do still do the anabolic diet? Yes. Do I still go off of the stuff that Dr. D prescribed? Yeah. Do I still carry, you know, more size and strength than most of these dudes? 100%. Mm-hmm. So um, I know when I did a strict keto diet, um, it was harder to keep muscle and size. And I, you know, but mm-hmm. I think by doing some carb refeeds. So uh, I definitely ate at least a gram to two grams of protein per pound of body weight. I also ate somewhere around between six and 7,000 calories a day. But I think, so the bigger... The, the bigger issue here is you just got to remember, y- dude, Dr. D wrote this stuff in the 90s. Uh-huh. And like uh, I wrote, I mean, dude, I talked about this. We had Dr. D on the podcast like years ago. I mean, geez, it was like what, like 20, the opposite 22. So, I mean, literally like 10 years ago, we talked about this mm-hmm. and hammered it out. And then uh, through, I don't know, fucking some marketing deal, all of a sudden the keto thing shot back. And now people are trying to reboot it. Um, I think it has a place. Um, I just... What's dangerous, what I was yeah. getting at is what's dangerous is just because John did it and these are the values that he used that you can port over to, to your people and even you as an athlete, if you're listening, doesn't mean that it's going to fucking work for you. There's a, John, how often did you get your blood work back then? Uh, I got my blood work done every three how to are six you, months. And how are your nutrient panels? Uh, I took a ton of supplements, yeah. still, but I still do. And Right. What, what I'm getting at is like, are these people investing the amount that well, you did to ensure that you could be well, successful but, on but a keto also diet? also look at the amount of, uh, of work I was doing in a single day. So yeah. I, I remember eating like on average six to 7,000 calories a day. And I remember still losing weight because I was burning more. Now that I track calories, I mean, it's pretty interesting like to see how many calories and like the difference in calories before, like, mm-hmm. uh, like let's say on a Sunday... Um, we'll get up, we'll do something, whatever. And it's like a pretty low stress day. I mean, I might burn 3,500 calories. Mm-hmm. And then on other days where it's like, we train in the morning, we're here, we're doing all these other things. I might burn like seven or 8,000 calories. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that like, uh, people usually put their calories at a constant. And, uh, I, you know, and like the reason that I stair stepped in a big part of my program with Morrow and the anabolic had to do with stair stepping calories. Mm. So there was a whole bunch and what of that, what stair stepping means for people who don't know. Yeah. So like if I, I always count calories in terms of an entire week. So let's say you're going to build 3000 calories over the, over a week of seven days and that's 21,000 calories. I would look at it and say, all right, on my heavy days, I'm going to eat you know, uh, four or 5,000 calories. Mm-hmm. And then on my, uh, you know, on my moderate days, I'm going to eat three. And then on the other days I'm going to eat, let's say two. And I would stair step and play with my calories to get based. the net gain over a week. Yeah. Oh, net gain over a week. But I would load the calories on my heavy work days. And for me, my heavy work days were always uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Friday, obviously, being kind of a lighter day for us. Saturday being an even lighter day. Sunday being game day. And then Monday and Tuesday were usually my heavy mm-hmm. lifting days, but weren't nearly as conditioning heavy. So I found a way to kind of skin it. And then I would figure out my carb refeeds based off of how I was feeling and really my performance. And, um, you know, but I... But all the time, supplementing and being diligent, right? And yeah. I think and people think keto... And working with a guy who was really intelligent. Yeah, dude, keto is and we've talked about this many times is so alluring because it's so fucking polarizing and it's just so fucking gnarly and it might not be the best thing for your athletes. Well, I mean, um, so my wife, uh, case in point, um, you know, she was pretty keto. And I remember when we changed up her diet, uh, I took her back to just isocaloric and, uh, as she was leaning out and getting leaner and leaner, we just started adding in more carbs, 
and all, it didn't, you know, dropped her fat back a little, increased her protein, added more carbs. And all of a sudden, dude, she's fucking shredded. And mm-hmm. she's like, um, you know, and then of course, all and the performing well, right? All the women in her gym are like, what are you doing? You this. And then I, I, she told them exactly what she's doing. And they're like, well, we don't think that would work for us. And it's like, fuck, dude. Like at the end of the day, um, you know what? As big a douche as he is, Lane Norton uh, did make a good point that like it does come down to calorie balance unless you're metabolically broken. Mm-hmm. Like the problem is, is that uh, everybody's looking for like the panacea and they're, they're looking for some magic bullet to fix it. And like at the end of the day, like you can still get fat on a keto diet. You can still get fat on paleo diet. You can still get all the, you know, all these problems that they're not just licenses to eat like an asshole. <laughs> right. right. And and it's true. I mean, and then the other big one, too, which makes me laugh. And, dude, this happened to us this week, man. Like, I charted my calories. Everything was on point. And then, uh, uh, what was it, Saturday after high five? Um, dude, I, I ate way too much and crushed it. And all of a sudden, uh, I was scale heavy again. I, I was yeah. up. And, like, all of a sudden, I was like, fuck. I was down, like, you know, you know, six pounds in a week. Or, like, no, it wasn't that much, but it was, like, four pounds. And then all of a sudden, dude, I packed that four right back on. And then today I was fucking only, you know. So it's, like, it's pretty interesting. People are like, well, I said one cheat meal. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, one fucking cheat meal where I ate, like, fucking 12 polydecasios at dinner. Uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, and drank a couple ciders. Next thing you know, like, all of a sudden my calories yeah. shot up, not realizing, you know. And, like, uh Intermittent fasting is pretty interesting, too, in that boat. Like, there's some really interesting health benefits associated mm-hmm. with it. But when we really broke it down, what it came down to was just a really cool way to do some nutrient partitioning and some caloric restriction. Yeah. What you can do over the week yeah. instead of, like, a 36-hour fast. But it's... it's uh, but then, right. Yeah, everybody's just looking for some magic bullet. So, I think we fucking... Nailed that for you, Ben. Uh, episode what about, 78. Yeah, so episode 78 to get Moro's take. And then what about like gluconeogenesis kicking you out of keto ketosis? Uh, I think that's the fucking boogeyman, man. You think so? Like yeah. it's a hard, it's a hard fucking no, thing like, to accomplish? Uh, no, the problem is, is that uh, gluconeogenesis is like just because it could happen doesn't mean it does happen. Sure. And I know um, it, it's, it's one of those things where everybody just loves to give this, oh, you know, if you eat over a certain amount, then you're going to get gluconeogenesis. That's bullshit. Like, uh, like there's people that can handle way more protein, and I think you can train your body to eat more protein. And I just, I just think that um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the boogeyman. It's, it doesn't exist. I mean, I think it does exist, and I think it can, but there's a lot of factors. Like, what does your conditioning look like? How, how developed is your aerobic system? Like, what is your fucking strength training looking like? If you're banging heavy weights, you know, do you need more protein for more protein synthesis? What is your, you know, what do you mm. look like? How hormonally are yeah, you? Yeah, no, you know? dude, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, uh, you know, more efficient, you know, higher testosterone levels. If you're, you know, 40 years old and the testosterone's of a eunuch because you do CrossFit nine times a week and fucking eat a ketogenic diet and wear nothing but fucking nanos and tights, then you know what? It might be a factor if you do, you know, uh, power athletes feel strong and, you know, fucking basically, uh, you know, chew bullets, then it might not be as big a deal. Nailed it. I got a good one. Go. All right. Julie asked us, can you, can you elaborate on the importance of mobility and flexibility for life and sport? I tend so that's Julian, just a heads up. I tend to have... Eric Julian. Patients and clients that Julia can't Gullian? grasp I, that can't grasp the con- concept as much as strength and power is important. So, is joint mobility as important as muscle and joint mobility and flexibility? Thoughts and ideas on how to get them to buy in into this idea. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's important. Just tell them. Next question. Oh, task specific flight. Like this is um. Yep. Man, this is uh this is another boogeyman. Yes. Like, how much flexibility do you need? And we just Xanus just dropped an article yeah. on this exact with topic. all the sources you how could ever much, fucking want. How much flexibility do you need? The the one thing you don't want is you don't want to be hyper-flexible if you don't have the musculature, the strength, or the neurological ability to stabilize. Mm-hmm. So if you, like, let's say, for example, somebody is neurologically fucking broken or they might have an injury or something, and then you go in and you fucking hyper-mobile them, you know what's going to happen? Fucking injury. Mobility mm-hmm. without stability is equal to injury. So I constantly think about how much mobility do you need? Just fucking rolling on lacrosse balls and stretching and fucking trying to reach sub- level 99 of the supple leopard uh, isn't going to increase your performance. I mean, it, it's not at the end of the day. And then think about this. Um, the foam rolling, the stretching, all that's great. But if you don't actually go and use that range of motion mm-hmm. as soon as you're done doing it, like in the training environment, like, hey, I'm going to mobilize, I'm going to do all this jiggy shit, and then you don't actually go out and use it in a meaningful way, it's pretty much just fucking worthless. It's like, you know? Yeah. It just, and Zanis talks about it. It's, it's just an endorphin rush. Yeah. And you get a release of hormones in the brain so you feel like you're doing something, but you ain't doing shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Aunt Lo would say, open a window, right? You're yeah. opening a window, but now you have to go through it. Like, if you don't yeah. go through it, then you, you don't get to pattern. Like, like my shoulder. And the reason you're tight is because you're moving like an asshole or you have dude, a broken something. Dude, my shoulder's fucked up, and I know that my body is effectively reducing range of motion so I don't fucking hurt myself. And all of a sudden, if you went in and you made my shoulder hypermobile, or if you increase me a bunch of a mobility, uh, I'm going to be in a bad place. And so I know that. So I'll get surgery and I'll go and fix those things and then I'll have to fight back for it. But hopefully you're not an asshole and wait fucking eight years to fix something. Um, I just think how much flexibility do people need? They need enough to, to be able to complete movements to full range of motion. And then you know what? Uh, well, they don't even need that, no, though, but John, I mean, arguably. Like, but, uh, but here's a better thing. Uh, for every fucking guy on the, you know, be like, oh, of course you have full range of motion movements. Then you got a guy like Cal Dietz and be like, you don't. Right. Why right. do you use them in sport? Why would you need to train to be strong in a range of motion that you're never going to utilize for sport? And then you know what? Cal Dietz says it. And you know what? Everybody fucking becomes church mice because, uh, you know, it's just it's fucking hilarious, man. Like people um, it's like the question back here where the guy was talking about parasympathetic nervous system. And I'm like, dude. Honestly, like, um, so let's pause on it because we'll get to it. Yeah. And if you're talking specifically about sport, you're probably working with a group of athletes. Some may need the flexibility, but some don't. If your female athletes or your male athletes can get into a lot of the positions, then I'm not going to give the whole team mobility exercises. I'm going to give the kids that need it because I could be doing a disservice to the athlete that doesn't need the mobility. And we talked about this and a cool thing that um, from the Phil Wagner podcast is sometimes you don't do a cool down stretch with some athletes because they are flexible enough and we need them to stiffen up so they can be in a position for the forces on the field and sport. Mm-hmm. So just because you as an athlete need mobility exercises and to loosen up, it doesn't mean that your athletes now coaching hats Dude. on. Dude, it's, it. it's like the Stu McGill, man. We had a pretty long conversation about uh, people doing excessive back stretching, like sitting down with the leg straight and like leaning forward and stretching the upper back and effectively loosening uh, the, um, um, what did he call it? He said, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the vertebrae in the back and all the, uh, the muscles in the back, he goes, imagine are like steel belts within a car. And he goes, if you get in there and you stretch and you loosen up those steel belts and then get under heavy load, you effectively are setting yourself up for an advantageous position to hurt your back. 
So he's like, if you're going to squat heavy you and you want to be strong, you're going to need less mobility than somebody who isn't because that stability and that, that stiffness is what allows you to rebound. And, yeah. and so, like, you watch, you know, and it's like, um, like who do you want to be? You know, and we used to get this shit all the time. I just, uh, I always loved Jim Wendler's response. He had, a, he taught a seminar years ago, and these guys are like, hey, I want to be strong and flexible. I want to be fast in this. And he went through everything. Like, how would you mix, you know, 5 3 1 and uh, gymnastics and all of this? And he's like, I wouldn't. Sounds awful. <laughs> Why don't you just pick something and be good at it? Why are you trying to be average at everything? Nobody ever remembers average people. People remember the gold the gold medal winners, and like it was great. He just curb stomped these dudes. But like at the end of the day, like what are you trying to do? You know, and it's like um, you know. I, I mean, it, I, I I just think it's uh, um, you know with the CrossFit stuff, people have given the illusion that I should be able to you know everything, and I, I think so to some extent. But um, you know, like if you're gonna you know want to squat big big weights and be able to do these things you got to be able to give something up on the backside there's nothing for nothing you're never gonna you know have everything so you got to just make and a decision i do recall that mcgill podcast episode 233 he talked about just our spine almost self-selects for positions mm-hmm. in different sports yeah like a golf and a quarterback athlete their spine is different from the gut, the the linebackers and the fullbacks and the linemen. Yeah. So they those positions almost self-selected by their their spine's ability. So well, we don't want to. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, but uh, you know, though the one thing like I didn't, I never had any back injuries, and I always think like um, you know, a guy like Turley who had a you know a back injury, and I watched a lot of guys peel out with pretty severe back injuries, and they always asked me, they were like, you know, why do you think that you that you didn't hurt your back the same way? And I, I think it was from being able to do a lot of, well, one, I did a lot of rot- heavy rotational, like a lot of uh, loaded movements, but it was everything dynamic. Like I saw a video the other day, I think it was Polifka had uh, um, one of the CrossFit girls, like she was basically just like rotating, stacking 45-pound plates, and they were like, oh, work in that trunk. And I was like, yeah, she's serving drinks. <laughs> like, um, like, like I never did any rotational work that didn't involve either some dynamic loading with dynamic uh, unloading. So everything was like a reactive ball to load to throw. I never did anything that like wasn't dynamic because every time I was in a rotation position, it had to be dynamic. But you're in a power sport. You're not in a sport where you're at the same exact tempo and speed for hundreds of reps. True. So, 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 so therefore it might make sense for, you know, mm. for a CrossFit workout that looks like unloading drinks. And right. <laughs> I guess taking this back to our lumberjack question, I don't feel that training system and method would be appropriate for no. him because it, unless it's, unless you want a quick hit on GPP. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, but long-term what you, trainability, what, what are you training for? Yeah, I'm with you Are guys. you training to just be in shape? Or are you just trying to replicate that fucking that uh, that high level of, uh, of you know of peak output? You know the one where you're right. you know lactic acid threshold where all of a sudden you're in the last ten seconds and you think your fucking heart's gonna explode. Like if that's all you're going for, but the problem is, man, people just uh, you know if it's red, it's red. You know, like uh, like they don't really see the fine distinction in it. That like, hey, you're just you know the body doesn't work like that. Do we answer the question? What were we yeah, even talking about? No fucking direct just ranting. <laughs> but we, we will direct you towards Matt Zanis' yeah. article, Stretching is Overrated. Yes. And because the best way, and then well, I'm going to get to the second part of that. Stretching though. with heavy weights in your back is like by far and the best one. Here, spoiler alert. Uh, you th- if you think you're getting more flexible by stretching, you're probably not. You're just getting temporary relief and opening the window and it shuts. You have to do something with it, right? And how do you communicate the importance 
or lack thereof of stretching to your athletes. One, it goes beyond just learning the information, but it starts there, right? So do the reading, read the fucking blog post, follow through the sources. They're all listed for you if you want to dig in. And then... And, or question it. And Matt's going to jump in on the comments yeah, yeah. and guide you towards his perspective. But then at the end of the day, you got to have... You have to spend all that time while you're learning building the trust of your athletes so you can just tell uh, them and they'll fucking listen. Uh, and that's the easiest part of it. Not to jump or ahead, hardest. but I, here, here's a good question. It, uh, this hostile barbell, what are your thoughts on percentage-based and RPR-based lifts for field sport athletes outside of the NFL? Given that there's little time with them, I find it inaccurate to get a true percentage and athletes can manipulate RPR when they feel like being RPE. lazy. In the, RPE, rather. Um, I like percentages based off of rep maxes. The reason that I favor rep maxes is I'm interested in to see like the five heaviest reps that you can lift or the three heaviest or two or four, seven, 10, whatever we're going for that day so that I'm not necessarily using percentages. And then what I do is I base percentages off of those. So like for example, example if we're gonna do our compensatory acceleration work uh, and we're gonna do cat lifts, they're gonna be always based off of a percentage off of a rep max. So like if you're gonna do a five RM and then we're gonna do, let's say five sets of five on our, on our compensatory acceleration work, I'm gonna test how fast your bar speed on that. And based off of that number is I'm going to know whether or not your rep max was accurate or you're full of shit. So for listeners who may not know the use of percentages in RPE that he's talking about, because I think we all do, like explain what you think he's referring yeah, so, to. So what he's talking about is percentages, like coming in and being like, hey, uh, you know, and really to have a percentage, you have to have an accurate one rep max or something. So let's say you don't have a lot of time to work with an athlete then why would you bring a percentage-based program to them? If you're, cause then like, how long does it take you to get an athlete to a position where they can actually do a true one RM and that one RM is safe and it looks good and you're happy with it. So then you base off a percentage. So usually percentage-based programs are based off of like, here's my one RM. And then I'm going to do this percentage-based program on the idea that this one RM is going to increase. Yeah. Over like an eight week cycle. The let's problem say. is, is and what I ran into all the time was that, uh, that, that standard periodization didn't allow for me to, you know, what I called gambler sets where some days I felt good, some days I felt bad. I remember we did a percentage-based program and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I was supposed to hit something at the end and about three weeks before I had a great day. And I remember thinking like the weights are light. I should go for it today. And I didn't. And then three weeks later, I ended up bombing out and not doing as well. And next time that happened, I just said, fuck it. And I went for what I wanted. And I set PRs because how do you know, based off of your, based off of a general training, like let's say you put 50 people into a program, uh, like we did in college, how do I know that that program is going to work for every individual in the same way? So what I, I got away from is I didn't get off, I, I got away from percentages and I even got away from the RPE stuff uh, just because those are, emo well, RPE's emotional response. Like, oh, uh, I felt like that lift was an eight, All right, Like, the, you know, that lift was a nine, that was a 10. I think it works for guys that are, you know, um, and I, dude, I'm a big fan of Tisher stuff and I really like it. I just think it comes down to, um, one, an athlete, have, like knowing himself and having done more training. I mean, you've admittedly said you don't have a lot of time, so why would you even fuck with that stuff? I wouldn't. I'd be like, hey, man, we're going to do rep maxes, and then we're going to base the compensatory acceleration work, which you got to train heavy, you got to train fast. fast. Right. And I would base all that off of a percentage, and I would dial the percentages based off how fast they're able to move the weight. Yeah. No, that's a good one. We get that question a lot, and it's been a while. And then also the, the underlying fallacy of that as well, John, is that the numbers are directly correlated with how you're going to perform on the field. Yeah. Right? Now, directionally, will an increase in strength potentially increase speed? Sometimes. Maybe. Maybe not. Right? Will it increase your ability to reduce force? Maybe. Maybe not. So it's kind of – they're kind of a straw man. But uh, – 
So don't get too wrapped up on the idea of maximizing strength. Early on, that's absolutely what one of the lowest hanging fruit for the novice athlete, right? But if you have college collegiate athletes who have been in strength programs for eight years, maybe strength isn't what they need. They, it should be what they maintain. But around that, you have to build up all the other attributes without reversing the strength. So that becomes the magic trick, too, is knowing when it's the appropriate training response. Um, and that's the, like, whenever, it's like the numbers matter, but they don't, right, Tex? So that, I believe, is string theory, right? I, I know Are you familiar with the dead cat problem? If you don't look in the box, you can assume the cat's alive? Yeah. Is that it? Exactly. That's string theory? I don't remember. That's, so, no, that's something's... Chaos theory. I, I think it's a problem or pure DM or something. Mm-hmm. Paradium? Isn't that your taint? Oh, yeah. yeah. Schrodinger's cat. Thanks, intern. Okay. Schrodinger's cat. Ooh, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, I would, if a podcast asked for questions, I'd ask that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get on there and I'll ask it right now. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Well, I, this one goes out to Luke. I've been to three weddings this year. Oh, God. Luke got married, so that was one of them. Fuck yes. So... Holmes, our boy A. Holmes, asks, it seems like you all, y'all, have had a lot of wedding experiences past year. Yup. Three-parter. One, best wedding drink. Two, best wedding song. Three, who has split the most pants at weddings? All right. The squats will get you. Uh, How do you want to start this, Tex? Well, we'll knock it out one by one, volley back and forth. All right, so best wedding drink. First off, Man, see, much like the life cycle of an athlete, there's the life cycle of a wedding. Oh, okay. I've, I've got a and single, seasonality. I, have, I have a single answer, but I want to hear this one. All right. So hang on. There's a, this is hard because like, I'm known to go for Manhattans at weddings. Wow. Manhattans for dinner. I did not see that. Then from there, a Kentucky mule might sneak its way in, right? Those are good. If you haven't had a Kentucky mule, it's like a Moscow mule but with bourbon, right? Then, hey, if things are getting salty, then you might go margarita, switch it up a little bit. And then you might have to just switch over. Was that a pun? Yeah. Uh, you might have to switch it up and go Coors Light just to ride it out till the sun comes up. Because <laughs> you can't train, drink fucking take Manhattan. take the train home? <laughs> yeah. So if I had to pick one, though, like if you're saying, okay, you get one drink, I think I'd go Kentucky Mule. Okay. I'm easily going ginglings. Oh. Because you can drink 15 of them mm-hmm. and still be ready for requesting regional restriction a wedding you have to be out east or southeast right regional restriction so anywhere off the east coast Mm -hmm. i'm going to shiners also Mm -hmm. drink 15 all right so best wedding song i got a lot here too oh dude yeah you had some epic ones at your Mm -hmm. at your wedding uh so the whitney houston oh dude so I guess to paint the picture, the, all the groomsmen, there was mm-hmm. 15 of them, mm-hmm. came out shirtless. Well, that was to, It's Raining Men. Oh, <laughs> Whitney Houston doesn't sing that? No. So It's Raining Men. So shirt, there's, see, you can't go one song either because it's a flow. You get your buddies in the bathroom. They pop their shirts off. They come out to It's Raining Men. Then they circle up the groom and this, his new bride. And then they uh, sing, I Will Always Love You. And then it goes right into, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Oh, that's okay. That's gotcha. how, that's the fucking trio. And uh, if you got a bunch of good bros, you know what's going on. 
Uh, what else? But there's, dude, there's so many fucking yeah, like. The shout's an easy one. I'll tell you the, the, and I fucking hate to admit it, but my Pike buddy, that's Pike as in Pi Cap Alpha, Pi Cap Alpha, uh, he's such a douchebag. Big time. Yeah, but he's one of my best friends as well. So, um, his fucking wedding closed out with an encore of uh, Zombie by Cranberries. And it was the only time I had ever seen a mosh pit at a fucking wedding. <laughs> That's pretty and epic. I was in the middle of it. And it was like that wedding just the lights came on after that song and the music went dead. And I sat there jaw dropped at what I had just seen. And I'm like, fuck, that was pretty epic. That is epic. And his response. That's what pikes do. I'm like you are such a douchebag. <laughs> such a douchebag. <laughs> Uh, speaking of douchebags, any Marymount Universe, any Marymount men's lacrosse wedding, you can expect call a uh, party all the time by Eddie Murphy or the Call on Me. Okay, yeah, out. those are solid as well. Yeah, yeah, man. And then split pants, dude. I fucking fit my pants so I can boogie. Like I don't, I got the the stretchy dress pants. Oh yeah, well. Wranglers, they got some stretchy khakis, mm-hmm. and Luke makes fun of me all the time because oh, yeah. they also fit snug, but they stretch <laughs> when you get down. So the, no split pants. Zero split here. on mine as well. So that's it. yeah, that was, those are good days, bro. Those are good days. All right, I'm ready to I'm I'm ready to take two sides to this of this discussion text. I'm curious where you're going to go with it. Maybe we just um, man, let me find it here. Is it the song? The no, music? no. Nope. Because I need to do some research before we pick the best. No, I don't have a good one on that. I like context. Are there, this is from the Darren Hansen. Are there situations other than Olympic lifting where you would recommend a toes out squat in training other than sports? And then Johnny Custer jumps on. He wants to piggyback. Uh, Building context. Consider in a state of injury, especially ACL deficiency, do you think that a toes-out, knees-out could be appropriate under heavy loads to prevent a valgus position and stress to the MCL? Context being that we're just focusing on a pure strength as prehab for a pending surgery for someone who's planning to live with no ACL and retire from field sport. For anyone who may be just tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, ing, ing, ing. when we talk about toes forward, we're talking about the foot placement that we advocate on all bilateral training movements and even unilateral. What we are doing is we are placing the toes forward as if you were standing on skis. Those skis would be parallel. Now, going up the kinetic chain, the shins are forward, the knees are forward, the femur is forward. For a lot of people, they may have to actually internally rotate from the hip to get knees forward, right? So, and we recommend squatting this way. And what people will say is like, bullshit, I can't squat 500 pounds that way. I can only squat 400. So it must be wrong. Well, going back to the numbers fallacy, I don't, we don't care because training isn't just about numbers. It's about replicating the posture and positions that will make you outperform the opposition, unlock your athletic potential in the competitive arena. Yeah. We don't care what you do. We care how you do it. Bingo. So we, we will, constantly correct a toes forward squat or no two we will constantly let me rephrase rephrase we will constantly correct to a toes forward squat and then we may from there vary width right right and these are tools to put you in what appears to replicate the universal athletic position while accommodating a good line of action and movement through a bilateral squat for that individual for that individual 
Now, remember what our end goal here is at Power Athlete. What's the goal, Tex? Unlocking athletic potential. Right. We are putting you in the best position. We're giving you repetition so that when you need to go fast or when you need to stop fast going in any direction, any plane of motion, you can do so effectively and under effectively. That means efficiently and safely. Those are the two things we're talking about. And the fact of the matter happens to be that toes forward position does that for you. So we're building a habit. We're building a behavioral habit so that when you display an action, you do so in an efficient manner, right? Yeah, you could squat fucking toes out all you fucking want. Like you're still going to be, you'll be fine. You'll survive. You will. Unless it's in a life or death situation and then, then you blow your knee out. But right? So I had, and I've had this discussion with Aunt Lowe, Right? Ant Lowe is a physio out of Sydney. Uh, he's got a really great way of kind of playing both sides of the fence, and he understands what we do, and a lot of it's in stark contrast of what he recommends for his patients. Ant Lowe is a physio. His goal is to get you to exercise without pain, right? Yes. So he has a client who comes in and says, it hurts when I squat this way, and that way happens to be toes forward. He's not going to recommend it. You know what he's going to have him do? Whatever doesn't hurt. But who is his population and what is his goal? So yeah, there's, oh, there's, there could be a scenario where you would squat toes out, right? Outside of Olympic lifting. But if you're trying to say, I'm doing this and it's making me a better athlete, that's where it falls apart, right? Now, I would say to that person who's squatting and it hurts, well, the, here's what we would do. We would set you up, we would watch you, and we say, okay, is it depth that hurts? Well, then don't squat that deep. Yeah. We find different ways to train that range of motion, whether it be like a split squat, right? Do me a fucking favor, right? And we'll, maybe we'll go into this safety squat bar uh, with an active foot. Do a, a single leg elevated split squat, toes out, knees out. Do it. I fucking dare you. Okay, everyone's doing it. And you look like idiots because you can't. How does that leg track on one fucking leg? Yeah. Toe forward, knee forward. So to speak directly to Hanson... I would still teach toes forward mm-hmm. for our Olympic lifters. Mm-hmm. And we are able to identify limiting factors within their movement that could potentially pop up and then prevent them from that maximal load, that competition, the excitability. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Custer, quickly, you're not going to have an ACL. People play high-level competitive sports. People live without ACLs. Because they have such a strong and powerful hamstring. Posterior chain. So if we are going to squat toes forward to hit the posterior chain, because we know when we start to rotate those toes out, our hamstrings and glutes are less involved within the movement, and it's more of a quad-dominant movement. So we're going to train you without you, with your new knee minus the ACL to move posterior chain dominance. So when... You step out of your freaking truck, your new truck, Custer, you're able to maintain stability mm-hmm. and not rotate or yeah, rotate at a hinge joint because your ACL is gone. Mm-hmm. So you have that strong hamstring. So do you think, do you think Tex athletes in training should be able to execute a toes-out squat? You should be able to do everything. Bingo. Right. So you can go from toes forward to toes out pretty darn easy, and it's almost laughable. 
mm-hmm. but it's extremely difficult from us traveling the world for six years and yeah. seeing people so accustomed to toes out their inability to do so. And then they say, I can't, they say it hurts or their numbers, their ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. So something's got to give. And I, I recommend even for our general population, the squatting the toes forward because we're able to identify a limiting factor and we're solving the movement problem with movement and we're able to attack that limiting factor, calf, foot, hamstring, glute not firing, quote unquote, air quotes there. And we're able to solve that problem because eventually in life, outside just teaching them to squat, they're going to need their ankle. They're going to need their calf. They're going to need these things for good quality of life, playing with their kids, playing golf. So we're able to identify the limiting factor and work on it with the squat, not an extra program or not doing a extra credit that they're probably not going to do, right? Because they're just general population athletes. So we can work on it within our time frame with them to improve their quality of life long-term. Mm-hmm. So, did we answer? Oh, yeah, we crushed it. So, Chaos Harmonized is asking, when do we receive our body hair sample from Tex? Oh, God. Yeah. This is, I don't see this. I think you're making it up. No, it's there. Five hours ago. I'll tell you when. When Tex gets 20 grand on his fundraising page for Wade's Army people. And, fuck, today's like the last day to claim your shirt, isn't it? One week. One oh, week. Oh, well, from the release of this episode... Yes. Three days. So, ladies and gentlemen, first off, if you don't know what Wade's Army is, shame, shame, shame. Wade's Army is our 501c3 registered 501c3 charity that is giving neuroblastoma a childhood cancer. We're giving it a name, and we're bringing the fight, and we're going to fucking tear it down. That's it. That's what we do. And I set a very high goal because I didn't, honestly, I didn't think I would make it, but I'm getting darn close. Mm-hmm. $20,000, I'm going to perform a... Full upper body wax. That's a body hair wax. And if you haven't seen Tex McQuilkin in the wild, the man... Well, as Derek Woodsky would refer to, is a a hair shoulder guy. Is a hair hair shoulder... Don't leave your neck out of it either, buddy. I see what you do to that neck. Why do you think I grew a mullet? (laughs) Cover Cover it up. So this man has arm hair, chest hair, back hair. He's got hair everywhere. How much? A lot. Think of Austin Powers. Hairy like animal. And what Tex is going to do is he's going to let everyone who wants to get involved, he's going to get inch wide, six inch long pieces of wax paper. Is that what they call it? Paper for waxing? We're going to lather them up. The intern's going to lather them up in hot wax, (laughs) barehanded. And then we're going to apply all these thin strips of paper. And we're going to allow 300 lucky women to come up. And I guess, men, we won't have a gender bias to come up and grab one of those six inch by one inch straps of paper and pull off their own little text pelt and take it home as a souvenir. If and only if you guys can help us raise 20 grand on Texas fundraising page. Tex, if they want to get involved in contributing to the wax tax, which means shearing off this hairy animal's hair, where do they go? Give.classy.org slash T-E-X. Boom. Do it, people. Help us. Here's what you get out of it. You get to have a ton of entertainment, knowing that Tex is going to walk around like a hairless cat, but then you also are contributing to a greater cause, childhood cancer. Just do it. Do it already. All right, McQuilkin, let's do some speed round questions. Okay. 
All right, so I'm going to just jump in. My, my boy, Bren Heron, why ham over bacon for me? So when I'm talking about people... I'm bacon over ham. No way, dude. First off, here's the thing, right? Bacon ban is on, but hang on. It's just not really as strict as it was. For example, forgot to ask for no bacon yesterday when I got my wedge salad. Well, so I, let's talk about the position of that wedge salad. It was almost a dessert. Yeah, it was, it was a dessert salad because it came after the meal because our gal forgot to put it in or something. So here's what happened, people. One day I woke up and I was shopping and I, was, I looked at a ham steak, a bone-in ham steak. And not only did that bone have a little chunk of marrow in the middle of it, it was priced exorbitantly cheaper. I don't think that's a real thing. Significantly cheaper than the uncured bacon I was buying per pound. And I thought, what a fucking what a fucking travesty that I've been spending this much on bacon. And you look at the macro ratio of it, it's just all fucking fat calories. You get like no protein out of it. So the reason I went year of the ham steak is because of bang for the buck, baby. And it's, it tastes the same. It's got a thicker consistency. It's not like you're eating a little wafer thin piece of fucking salty paper. That's what bacon is. So bacon ban is on. Oh, it's back. Now I'm going to hold you to it now that it's on the record. Yeah. All right. So that's why. Uh, Tex, what's a better movie? Terminator 2 or Predator? You know, I've been thinking about this all episode. Mm-hmm. You got an answer for me? I do got an answer. And I took into consideration you're just going to say the opposite of what I say. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking Predator. Okay, why? It's a genuine, it's a true story <laughs> under <laughs> yeah maybe in mm-hmm. the future it's a true underdog story mm-hmm. you can't honestly tell me even in rewatching it you do not believe a moment that arnold is not gonna win mm-hmm. you're like oh shit man I, I have no idea how he's gonna do it so just the the development they put in into a position where you are like oh fuck he's not gonna make it out of here this is gonna be one of those stories going back to the the Gannett podcast where he talks about where everything's a fuck up, everything's a fail. It's like mm-hmm. falling down mm-hmm. where everything goes wrong. But no, he's able to outsmart this guy who is clearly genetically superior and the underdog, the only thing that can kill Arnold, right? He's able to overcome. This is a hard one, right? Because I'm thinking like, Man, I just feel like if I say Predator, which is my instinct, I'm betraying Terminator 2. I'm betraying Sarah Connor. I'm betraying that the intern is pantomiming the thumb sinking into the molten magma as the Terminator self-destructs and John Connor is left alone. Trials and tribulations, right? Man, and Eddie Furlong was so cool back then. Well... I disagree. But I think I got to go Predator because it's a band of brothers. Oh, yeah. Freaking Predator high five. Mm-hmm. You have a high five named after you. Mm-hmm. I got to go Predator. That's a hard one, though. I, I do, like, I sincerely, you know how hard this I is? sincerely feel Luke bad. Because Luke disagrees just to disagree with no, everything. No, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the movie. And, man, like, I remember, that was, like, one of the first movies I ever cried at was when fucking Arnold went into that magma. Any other speed rounders in here? 
Here, I, can, I think we can make this one a speed round. Will the Power Athlete Methodology course textbook ever be available for purchase? No. It's going to be paired up, paired up with that course for as long as I can see. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a guide. It's a workbook. It's not a book. It's a workbook. Mm-hmm. And then Jay-Z, uh, this could be a good one. Jay-Z is following Johnny Watt. Uh, which prep program teams up better, Dynamic Movement Prep or Power Athlete Warm-Up Series for, on Train Heroic? Uh, well, let's see. It depends on what your deal is. If you're a try-hard guy who's wound up like the intern, I think I, like dynamic movement prep is going to take longer, mm-hmm. right? So there's that to take into consideration. It's going to be a 15-minute prep session. Warm-ups are going to be seven-ish. Yeah, and what do you want? Right. Z, do you want to like plug and play and forget? Is training like your time to just fucking do what's, do what's on the program and shut off? Or are you looking to learn something about yourself? Right. Are you looking to become a better coach by being on this training program paired with this warm-up opportunity? Mm -hmm. Because that's what a warm-up is. Every single day is an opportunity. So if you're looking to shut off, I'd say go with the warm-up. If you're looking to learn about movement, learn about yourself, and then take what you do learn from that more in-depth piece to your athletes, then go with the, the dynamic movement prep. And finally, to close out today's episode, the second part of Jay-Z's question, who wins when eating the old 96-er? That's 96-ounce steak. Someone on Power Athlete HQ or John Candy as good old Chet Ripley? Say it, Tex. Well, we know the answer. Luke Summers versus Chet, you're going to win. What? And throw a freaking, throw some milk on top of it. No, dude, here's what we got to do. We still got to do that pho challenge, that two pounds of pho, or what, oh, what is it, two gallons so of pho. So there's this place in Austin called Pho Please. Pho Please. Let's do it. It's pretty great. Yeah, but it's like a... Uh, can I, I, I can't get this wrong. I need to look this up mm-hmm. because it's what we are training for. But in all honesty, like if you guys are asking, Luke, can you really eat 96 ounces of steak? I, I don't think so. I don't think I could do it. You know, in fact, I don't even know if that really happened in real life. I think that was part of a movie. Has anyone ever eaten 96 ounces of steak? I'm not sure. It's mostly just fat and gristle. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. Oh, shit. There's a video. No, 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 no. Okay. Faux please. Austin, Texas. 60 minutes to finish two pounds of noodles, a half pound of meat, two quarts of broth. Mm. Finish it all and keep it down. 35 bucks pay-in, meals free, plus the jackpot value. So the jackpot goes up for every failure. So last, I can't remember what it was that last time that I went, but it was like 35 bucks because somebody did it. And you get your photo on the wall. Mm, that's important. That is important. Is there a T-shirt? I don't know. Faux, please. Can Dude, you make sure we get a T-shirt when we win? Are they, and it's not time limit, right? No, it's 60 minutes. Oh, it is 60 minutes. Well, who fucking eats anything Well, here's for 60 my minutes? strategy. Oh, God, here we go. It's going to be really hot, so I'm going to need some ice. So it's just going to ramp up. Go ahead. It's, it's worth the volume because I'm going to cool it off. I hate hot coffee. I can't eat hot pho, so I need to. Pho. 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 Pho, please. No, it's pho. Pho, please. Yeah, <laughs> but here's where your strategy is going to implode. Uh, your tiny ant stomach is not going to be able to handle that much. Here's what I have under my belt, bro. I've got, I've got pedigree. I've eaten a seven-pound burrito from El Tapiac in L.A. 
right? Seven pounds of food. I've eaten a 12-egg omelet with four slices of toast, 32 ounces of milk. This is only... A pound of hash browns. Four pounds of food. That's what I'm saying. Like, the story checks out. I'm there. How, much, how many pounds is a gallon? Nobody knows. Eight? That sounds like a real thing, but I think that's... You just got to drink half a gallon, and I'll be fine. Yeah, everything's fine. I'm getting fucking... I'm hungry. That's it. It's time for lunch. Okay. Thanks, well, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you at the symposium. That's right, bitches. Austin, and Texas. please, is right next Austin, to our venue. Texas, December 7th, 8th, and 9th. John, Tex, myself, Callie, the whole crew is going to be wading through the audience, giving those belly hugs we talked about earlier in this episode. And I better be hugging you, listener, our one listener. At the Power Athlete Symposium. We have a killer fucking lineup. All the speakers are announced. Head to events.powerathletehq.com. Get your ticket, man. It starts at 275 bucks for three days, life-changing experience. And then you want to throw another 50 bucks down to come to the fucking ranch and get trained by some of the sharpest coaches we ran into this year? This is a no-brainer. Why are you not doing this? And, you know, I don't even know who we're talking to. Nobody listens to these whole episodes. What, tell them about the, the sleep opportunity to really get to know the rest of the attendees the sleep opportunity i'm there i'm with you it's being held at native event center which is also a a travel hospital and if you're like man i remember the my backpacking days in college where i used to do dorm hostels no it is nothing like that i've stayed in a fucking couple dozen hostels and this is nothing like any hostel i've stayed in you have your own built-in bunk with noise canceling curtain and like accessory tray dude it's epic your own fan and like thermostat in your own bunk and it's a four they have four bed bunks six bed bunks and eight bed bunks and then they have this like master fucking 20 bed bunk room so you get to fucking dig in and you get to hang out with literally everybody who's going to be at the spot you go to sleep where we're having the event and you wake up where we're having the event and it's not like a hotel i mean it's fucking awesome it's intimate they block the rooms for us it's going to be a killer killer event it's like i'm stoked i'm stoked yeah events.powerathlethq.com okay bye to empower your performance. We are now just two short months away from the Power Athletes Symposium on December 7th, 8th, and 9th. And if I haven't successfully convinced you that it is the strength and conditioning event of the year, perhaps this will. Uh, I asked a few attendees to describe their previous experience with the symposium in just one word, and this was basically the feedback. Powerful, infotaining, breathtaking, innovative, attractive team player i am so sorry i am actually reading um texas linkedin page regardless i would say that most of those uh descriptors still apply until next time